0: One of Luke's recurrent themes is that Jesus is the greater Elisha. And we see that again in this passage. Um, it's just a, a little note, but if you look back at 2 Kings 5, if, if it takes your fancy, you'll see there's a story of the, he- the healing of Naaman, the Syrian, who suffered with leprosy. He was a man. He was not an Israelite who uh, uh, suffered with leprosy. And Elisha told him from a distance To go and wash in the in the River Jordan, and he was healed of his leprosy, and he became a worshiper of God. And that story is sort of recapitulated here to some degree. Um, But there's a sort of Jesus is even greater than Elisha because there's no request for healing, Uh, there's no healing actually even spoken. Jesus doesn't even say "Be healed" or anything like that. And it's not just one man with leprosy; it's ten men with leprosy. And so Luke is kind of highlighting again one of his themes. Uh, that Jesus is the fulfilment, the greater one who was to come. But there's a a bigger theme in this passage that we've read, um, and that is the theme of those who are far away being brought near to God. Those who are far away being brought near to God. And it's communicated in several ways in this passage. First of all, you've got the, the location. It says that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. We're in that section of Luke's Gospel which is all a journey where Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem and is is uh, travelling there. Um, it's a long way in the north of the country of Israel. So it's between Samaria and Galilee. Galilee is in the far north. Samaria lies between Judea, where Jerusalem is, and Galilee in the north. And so it's, it's in the far north of the country. So you've got a certain sense of distance there. Perhaps that's deliberate. Perhaps Luke is picking that out for us or not. I'm not sure. Then we have these ten men who are lepers. And uh, the rules around leprosy for Samaritans and Jewish people alike were that if you suffered with leprosy, you weren't allowed to live in the community. You had to live outside. You had to wear certain clothes that made it obvious that you were diseased. So they had to wear torn clothes. They had to wear a face covering. They had to wear their hair down. And if anyone came near, they would have to cry out, unclean, unclean so that you wouldn't go near and be defiled, because they were they were ritually unclean, so they weren't allowed to participate in the day-to-day activities of the community, they weren't allowed to attend the synagogue, they certainly weren't allowed to go into the temple in Jerusalem. So they were, they were separated socially, and Luke notices that, although they approach Jesus, they also stand far away from him. They have to stand at least, I think, 50 paces, if I remember right. They have to stand 50 paces away from any other person. They're not allowed to go near. So there is this sense of distance. Can you feel it in the passage? This sense of estrangement, of being far away. Among these ten men, one of them is even further away, in the manner of speaking, because one of them is a Samaritan. And there's this animosity at the time between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. The Samaritan people were considered by the Jews to be uh, unclean. They were considered to be people who'd ruined the, the true faith. They were impure. Um, There were all sorts of stories and kind of folk rumours about what made them unclean. And the animosity was more or less mutual. So you've got this distant place, this group of people who are socially distant. And one of the ten is even further away, if you see what I mean, because he's a Samaritan. And so in one sense he's further away from us and he's further away from Jesus, socially speaking. And um, Jesus actually uses this word that picks up on this sense of distance about this Samaritan. When he comes back, he, he says, um, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And the word he uses there in Greek, uh, I think is allogenes, which is, it's kind of like a, it's a very strong word. So you, you can you could use the word foreigner in that way in English, couldn't you? In a sort of disparaging way, a foreigner. Jesus isn't disparaging this man, but he's he's using a word that was written in On the dividing wall that was in the temple, there was a wall, a barrier that separated the court of the Gentiles where anyone was allowed to go to the part of the temple where only Jewish people were allowed to go. And it said no foreigner, using the same word, is allowed to go beyond this point. And if you go beyond this point, then you may very well die and it, it will be upon your own head. So he's, Jesus is is really noticing this sense of distance and he's using this language that really makes kind of clear, he he wants us to get this message. Yet, who is the one of the ten who ends up closest to Jesus? It's the Samaritan leper, isn't it? He, The other nine are healed. I'm sure they were thank, thankful in a manner of speaking. They end up going to the temple. They are restored to some degree. They're brought close to God in a, in a real and tangible way. But one of them ends up on his face before Jesus thanking him. So the one who was furthest away has been brought close. See the theme? Good. That's the theme. So Paul writes on this, and this is not just Luke, of course, it's all throughout the Bible. Paul writes um, in Ephesians chapter 2, remember that at one time, and this applies pretty much to all of us, remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. You remember that time? But now, he says, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Isn't that good news? You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we're not quite at the main point of what God would say to us this morning, but already we can draw some comfort in what we're hearing, I think. And God would offer his comfort through his word. How often do you feel excluded from God's presence? By something you've done, or something about your character, or some habit that you're in, or some sense of distance from him that may actually not be tied to anything specific? Do you ever feel just a really long way from God, and it's really hard to come to him and pray and spend time with him? I do. I do. And you know, the, the really silliest thing about that is that that's a self-imposed distance. Because what we see in this passage is that it's, it's the, the ten men with leprosy who stand at a distance from Jesus. Their distance isn't imposed on him. He is just waiting for them. He is waiting for them to express their need. He's waiting for them to, to approach him. He's waiting to come into a relationship with him. So we, like these lepers, we stand far off because there's some sense of exclusion, some sin we've committed, some just random sense of distance, some sense of unworthiness or inadequacy in our lives, and we stay away from God. We don't pray for some time, or we come to church, but we stay distant, or whatever it is, because we feel somehow excluded. Sin makes us feel excluded. Um, one um, One medieval writer, Thomas Aquinas it's a bit of a favour of mine, um, Talks he, when he's preaching on this sermon, he uh, lists 10 people with leprosy in the Bible who all embody different types of sin. So he talks about Miriam, who's afflicted with leprosy because of her, her pride and her rebellion, really, against, uh, against Moses. He, he speaks of Gehazi, who's in that passage in 2 Kings 5, who's afflicted with leprosy because of his greed. He's, um, he speaks of Naaman, who's proud, and so has leprosy. He speaks of Isaiah who is uh, proud and wrathful. He's angry in God's presence in the temple, and so he's afflicted with leprosy. And he goes through, like, ten big sins. And that's his sermon. It's kind of, it's a bit kind of like, oh, okay, that's like ten really bad things you you mustn't do. But he finishes with, and Jesus heals us of all of these things. (laughs) It's It's a simple sermon, but it's a great point, isn't it? No matter how big that thing is that makes you feel excluded from drawing close to God, no matter whether it's like leprosy that covers your whole body or some hidden blemish that no one can see, nothing is beyond the power of Jesus to heal. At a look, barely a word, Jesus' power is so great. Isn't that wonderful news? It just strikes me how little drawing near we have to do for God to draw near to us. It says that in James, doesn't it? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. How little drawing near do we have to do? (laughs) God is the father waiting for the prodigal son, isn't he? He's out there looking. In fact, more than that, he sent the other son to look for us. He's Jesus coming into the village. We're standing far off and he's approaching us. We just need to... He's like a a serpent on the pole. We just need to look and live. So who this morning is feeling far away from God? Hmm. How little drawing near there has to be. A look, a cry for help, no effort at all really on your part. I found this this hymn, which I can't pretend is a great favourite of mine, because I literally just read it for the first time when I was preparing the sermon. <laughs> but it is is—it is great, it just sums it up um, so well. It says, that though unworthy, vile, unclean, look and live, look and live. Look away from self and sin, look and live. Long by Satan's power enslaved, look and live, look and live. Look to me, you shall be saved, look and live. Easy, isn't it, to look at Jesus? and to be healed. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. God's willingness to come near to you. His power to cleanse you, to change you. So we think God's willingness. And we also see, and this is uh, the main point today, what it means to be brought near to God. We, I mean, we've been talking about it for a while, and we can sort of intuitive, can't we? <laughs> what it means to be brought near to God. Don't need to, for me to ham-fistedly explain it to you in some sense. But there's something here that is really, really uh, powerful and important. It's actually really, really simp- simple. So, and, and the point really is, uh, and Luke again picks this up in his language, he's so skillful in the way he writes, he basically tells us, ten lepers were healed, but only one leper was healed. You Notice that in the passage? Yeah. Ten lepers went away, and on, as they went away, they were healed, they were cleansed. One of them comes back, and what does Jesus say to him, the last thing? Rise and go, your faith has made you well. So there's this distinction between the two of them. You can be healed without being healed, and you can be really healed. And actually, the English language doesn't quite capture some of the nuance. There are two different words going on in the Greek. One is to be healed, like a, a medical healing. The other is to be made whole. To meet may complete and has a much more kind of holistic sense of being. Actually, it's the same word we used to use uh, for the word saved. So you could translate this, and I think the King James probably does translate this as "Your faith has saved you." Is the last thing he says. So what was the difference between the one Samaritan leper and the nine other ones? Well, he returned, right? That's one thing. Anything else you can shout out to me? What was the difference between him and the other nine? He gave thanks. He, gave thank, he was thankful. Anything else? Faith. Yes, Jesus says he had faith, yeah. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he, he, he worshipped Jesus. He, uh, he worshipped him. Now, it's not just thankfulness or worship or faith, if you like, that marks him out as different. Well, the difference between being healed and healed-healed is that this man entered into a relationship with Jesus. That's simple, isn't it? That's the difference. And God would remind us this this morning of just this really, really simple point of the importance of relationship with him. Does that sound like the most vanilla, straightforward, evangelical sermon you've ever heard? <laughs> the importance of having a personal relationship with Jesus that's what i'm going to preach on <laughs> not for that long really but it's but it's true and as simple as it sounds it is life changing isn't it it is life changing god is a personal relational god and a relationship with him makes all the difference and i find I need to be reminded of that, as simple and as straightforward and as vanilla as it may sound. I actually need to be reminded of that all the time. So God, yes, he wants us whole, he wants us medically well, and he wants us spiritually well, he wants us emotionally and psychologically well, he wants us behaving righteously and obeying the law and all those things. He wants us, like the nine other lepers, to be healed at his word, but that is just half the story. What does he really want? He wants a relationship with us. And relationship changes everything. We can illustrate it really simply, just two things that occurred to me this week. I was out with a friend quite recently, and uh, as we sat down on this bench together, we were chatting, he found a two-pound coin on the floor. That's a nice thing to happen, isn't it? Yeah, right, two quid. It's, I don't know, what is it? Nice bar of chocolate or something. Okay, so you feel blessed if you find two pounds on the floor. Then what happened next? He gave it to me and says, yeah, hey, you have it. Which is nice, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But nice in a different way. Now, I get all the benefits he was going to have, because I didn't say no, because I'm selfish. <laughs> 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 I actually start, immediately start to think of all the things I could spend on. <laughs> so I get exactly the same blessing as he would have had, but I get something more, don't I? But in that simple act of very small generosity... Almost, it was, you know, it was almost without a thought. Oh, I'd like you to have it. Just a simple act of generosity. There is a relationship. Now, I don't, I'm not going to pick that apart because like, it's like smashing a diamond, isn't it? It's pretty obviously beautiful and good. You don't need me to dissect it to tell you there's something different going on there. Relationship changes everything. Um, another simple example if you're, I do queuing up for a train or something like that and or whatever it is, and you bump shoulders with someone. It doesn't, you know, nothing. Nothing's happened as it is, you know. But if you're sharing a joke with a friend or a spouse or whatever, and you bump shoulders, it's a sign of affection or mutual amusement or something like that, isn't it? I'm deliberately choosing really, really low-key, simple examples to show you. Relationship isn't complicated, but it does change everything. Relationship is so important. And God wants to enter into a relationship with us. He doesn't want us to be passive recipients of blessing who go, oh, look, my life is better. I can go on my way and have a nice life and everything's normal. He wants us to be aware of his relational intentions towards us. (laughs) That doesn't sound too abstract. But actually, the ultimate goal in the Christian life, really, and one day we'll be perfectly aware of this, is that everything that happens to us Everything that God has made is a gift to us, given with some loving intention. That actually the the thing that God speaks so clearly and loudly on the cross through the gift of his son to us, which is quite simply those words which are the most profound words in the world, I love you. It's the same message he says through every moment of our lives and everything that happens to us. He's always saying I love you and inviting us to respond in relationship. And our perfect destiny, if you like, as Christians in heaven and for all time, is for us to perfectly hear those words and be able to repeat them back to God in everything that we do and think which I think is great. It's that relationship that is healed, healed. That's what God wants for us. So here's the simple question then. Almost as simple as this main point. How's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with God? There's a message there, I think, for three types of people. And perhaps one of these will apply to you. Um, I think for the person who's not yet a Christian, or for the person who is just beginning their journey as a Christian or for a person who's grown up in church and whose faith is that of their parents or their family and hasn't yet made that real sense of hasn't had that sense of ownership and made that decision for yourself then there's a, a challenge here very simply the thing that will make all the difference to you that moment there is a moment of decision uh, and a set of actions if you like a way of thinking where you cross over from kind of being on the threshold of faith to entering into faith. And that's when it becomes a relationship. When you're not just saying other people's words or you're not just doing things because you're watching other people and what and doing what they're doing. But when you begin to enter into a relationship with God. Now, how does that work? It is so simple. It's prayer, isn't it? And not just using prayer of others, but actually when you, when you speak to God and you're actually addressing him personally, it doesn't need any more explanation than that. You know, I've, I've, uh, I've tried lots of different ways of praying. I've done spontaneous prayer. I've done uh, set prayers of all sorts of things. And, you know, my experience is simply this. The one thing that divides good prayer from bad prayer is that you mean it. And it doesn't matter whose words they are, whether you made them up on the spot or whether you're reading something that's 1800 years old or whatever, actually, the difference between good prayer and bad prayer is that you mean it, that you actually feel like you're addressing it to God. There's this constant temptation or pressure in the Christian life to. Just to fall back into a set of customs, a set of just a, a habitual routine. Uh, but you know, it isn't Christianity. Isn't a moral system. It's not only a moral system. It's not only a religion. It is both of those things. I'm not into that kind of saying. We don't have a religion. We do. But it is more than those things. It is a relationship <coughs> with God. So there's that difference that God is looking for when you address him personally when you pray to him for yourself and put it into your own words or mean the words that you're saying when you listen for his response however vague you may feel that process is when you're actually attentive and looking for him to guide your life when you come to church and you worship but not just because it's good music or because you can see the words and everyone's doing it and you feel awkward if you don't join in when you actually mean the words for yourself and you, you own them, when you express thankfulness to him. I think thankfulness has got to be a, a real key, isn't it? A real key. It's as we give thanks for the things that God has given us, in small ways, we begin to see more and more that how much he's given us. And our eyes are gradually opened to that big, big picture that everything everything in our lives is one big gift that speaks of his love. So here's the challenge for you. First, you know, if you're in that stage of Christian life, very simply, no one else can do it for you. That's it. You have to come to Jesus yourself, pray, mean it, worship, mean it, thank him, mean it. Simple as that. Okay? Second group, I think, I just on my heart to share with is just for those of you who love to share your faith. And it's just a really, really simple point that, you know, we carry this amazing message of truth that can change people's lives, don't we? Isn't the gospel just the most amazing thing? The gospel of forgiveness of sins, you know, faith alone, the freeness of it, God's power, you know, the forgiveness of sins, the, the wisdom of Christ, which is enriches our lives and fills the world with good things, it teaches us how to live it's, he sets us on the right path, he makes us whole that's, that's an amazing thing we carry the gifts of the spirit we carry the ability through the power of the spirit to pray to people and see them healed and see miracles like the one in this passage happen in our lives and as amazing as all those things are they on, on their own are not enough to heal, heal people to save people that we just have to recognize that there's this crucial thing in our telling of the gospel where we need to bring people into a relationship with Jesus. That's the challenge we have to bring to people, isn't it? Whatever gift God has given you in sharing the gospel, let it finish with that invitation to personal faith in Jesus let it be clear that the person you're speaking to must respond. You need to choose to follow this man who is God, to put your trust in him, to speak to him, to obey him, to worship him. Because without that, we're doing half the job. But with that, we are bringing people to real Christianity, which is not a moral system. It's not a process. It is an encounter with a living God. So, just encourage you with that. And I'm not an expert at that. (laughs) Um, I don't have anything to give you beyond that, but just to say, you know, season your conversations about God with that invitation and see what God does. And the third group, of course, is just to cover everybody else (laughs) those who are already a little closer. So, those of you who identify with the nine lepers, which I'm sure it's like all of you know. <laughs> there's, there's this group who are not as far away. And I just think, for me, that's a picture of us as Christians, isn't it? That actually, it's very easy to, uh, in our in our Christian lives, to settle for Christ's blessing, but not himself. And I spoke a moment ago about, I, I don't really know how to explain it, but I, I'm pretty sure you... All of you, or most of you, will have the same experience. There seems to be this weird pressure, over and over again, to kind of stop it, stop encountering God personally and just sort of do it habitually, almost in a depersonalised way. Do you feel like that sometimes? You know, the prayer becomes so routine that you forget you're addressing the Almighty Maker of the universe. You know, and just it, the words are out of your mouth before you have known it, and you've amen and everything and got on with your day, or you come to church and you, know, you listen to the sermon and that was helpful and this was good, I'm not sure about that or whatever it is and you go and you've done church, you've ticked the box and you've forgotten you just had an encounter with the living God or you're worshipping him, you're singing you know, singing to him or you're coming to communion and you know, you're doing the things, you're ticking the boxes, you're doing all the religious routines but you're just it can become like these, these nine other men who have taken the blessing and had something in their life fixed but they're missing the crucial thing so great, you've been blessed, but it's only half the story. These men are obedient. They obeyed the law because they'd stayed away from Jesus as the law commanded 50 paces. And when they were healed, they went and presented themselves to the priest just as it commanded in the law. And they literally obeyed the voice of Jesus, so they are obedient. That's not enough. Just obedience isn't what brings God's power and blessing and the richness of relationship into your life. It's that relationship, that thankfulness, that worship. So God would challenge us simply this morning just to renew that intention to come to him and encounter him, to have a relationship with him. And I just feel as simple as that message is, that's just what God would speak to us, and some of us really need to hear it this morning. You know, the funny thing is, I've said this a few times recently. We can get to this point in the sermon where we're like, okay, right, now I really must have I really have to try hard. And that's not the gospel, is it? The gospel is that we are weak and God is strong, that we are helpless and he is the saviour. So here's the thing, what is God looking for? You know, I am so weak in my in my intention in this regard, and I need to hear this message as much as anybody. But in as much as I remember it at other times that I have to, you know. That I'm in a relationship with God. I'm so weak. I, you know, I offer Him so little. Like we said, the Lord's Prayer is a great example. You know, when I pray the Lord's Prayer, often I'm three quarters of the way through before I remember who I'm addressing. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of ashamed to admit it, but also I want you to know that. But you know what? God is so gracious; He takes it. He'll take the. Oh, you've just remembered. Lead us not into temptation. Oh yeah, I, I remember who I'm talking to. And he'll take the little and all the stuff I just said. I really mean it now. And he'll he'll meet us there. It's remarkable. You know, like i in worship on a Sunday morning. It's so hard. Like with your kids climbing over your shoulder, or well, not me this morning, Abby. But you know, some weeks it's me, some weeks it's Abby. You know, or you've got a hundred things on your mind, whatever. Or you know, it's a song you're not particularly familiar with. But you, for that one moment, when you focus and you read that line and you sing it with all. You actually mean what you sing. God will take that and meet you in that moment. Isn't that wonderful? We don't need like a perfect prayer experience or the, the perfect worship experience or uh, perfect habits of the faith for God to meet us. God will lead us into those things by His grace and over time and you know faith, faithfulness and all those things. He will. And but you'll have seasons when it's rich and seasons when it, it feels barren. But God can. You can encounter God in those small moments. And such a such a blessing. So God would just comfort you, I think, through his word in that. You know, it just takes, just as that, that first part of our message this morning, it takes so little, so little of our looking to Jesus for his power to come and work in our lives. He just needs that uh, relationship approach. And I think God would just challenge us as well. You know, what we're talking about in one sense is an inward attitude. It is not so much what we do on the outside, but it's actually that intention. You would not be able to tell the difference if I was to say the Lord's Prayer right now between me just reciting it and me meaning it. Maybe I could be really melodramatic or something. But then maybe I'm acting. You wouldn't know. So we're talking about an inward attitude. But just as I was preparing this, I just felt on my heart the Lord would say, Actually, for some of us, an outward action is going to be a breakthrough in this area. An outward action is going to be a breakthrough in this area. If you're struggling to draw near to God, to have that sense of closeness with him, notice what this man did. He went back, so he he literally walked, praising God in a loud voice. When was the last time you threw yourself into worship, for example? He threw himself at Jesus' feet. When was the last time you knelt before the Lord in prayer or worship, or any other time? When was the last time you prostrated yourself before God? And he thanked him. When was the last time you didn't just settle for I feel blessed, but you actually expressed Lord, I thank you for all the blessings in my life and listed them. You know there are specific actions that God is calling us to. Maybe it's one of those things. Maybe it's something else that God has put on your heart. Maybe it's and these are in one sense they're token gestures, and it's not to be superstitious about it. But maybe God has put it into your heart that now is the time when next time you worship in God, you put your hands up in the air, or you kneel down in your chair, or you go home and you spend an hour with Him on your own because you haven't done, you haven't given the time, or you fast for the first time in a long time, or for the first time ever, or whatever it is some practical action that, where you're saying to God I want to give you more than I've given you I'm struggling to give you the attention the intention of relationship and through this action I want to approach you and come near to you I think God would challenge us with that so it's all about relationship is that good? encouraged? challenged? going to do anything? good <laughs> Relationship is what Jesus came for, isn't it? He who was far away drew near to us. That is the remarkable thing, isn't it? Being a very nature God, he was found in the likeness of a man, walking between Galilee and Samaria, talking to lepers and feasting with sinners, being judged by unrighteous men hanging on a cross. He got messy. He got filthy with our sin because he wanted a relationship with us. He took our burdens, our shame, our guilt. He took our death. He entered into our grave not just to make us whole. Not just so he could look at us and say, look at my exalted servant who is well and healed and happy. But look, here is a bride a beloved for me to have a relationship with. Let's pray.